Just want to say good morning. Hi, welcome to The Exchange. My name is Josiah. So glad you guys are here. Uh, do me a favor. We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. So if you would, turn to Mark, chapter 9. Uh, we have some Bibles that were passed out. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you a Bible so you could follow along. But Mark, chapter 9. Uh, this is crazy. If you've been with us, we started the Gospel of Mark this year in January, and here we are in Mark chapter 9. That means this. We've finished halfway through the Gospel of Mark. Can you believe it? We've flown by the Gospel of Mark. We're halfway through now. Eight more chapters left. Uh, We're in chapter 9. You guys might know this, maybe not, but um, we just want to slow down this year and look at the life and ministry of Jesus, who he is, what he said, what he claimed. Mark wrote this book within 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and Mark is writing to a group of skeptics, And here's what I want to just ask of you, whether you're a Christian or following Jesus or not, um, is just simply this, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider that these gospels are actually eyewitness accounts. And consider that Jesus, the things he said and did, consider that they actually happened. And if you are a believer in Jesus, I just want us to kind of refocus our attention back to Jesus uh, as we go through the Gospel of Mark. That the church is built on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And that's why we're here. That's why we do this. To look to Jesus. To explore the person and work of Jesus. So we are in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 9. And I want to say this again, just to bring clarity. The text before us, we're going to see this. Um, it's believed that Peter passed on this gospel to Mark, that this is actually Peter's gospel. And so Peter is almost meeting with Mark, telling him the story of Jesus. That's how church history tells us the gospel of Mark is really Mark is a disciple of Peter. And so we kind of see the gospel of Mark from Peter's perspective. And if you're with us last week, we really saw that. And if you're here and you are here, uh, we're going to see how this is really, Peter's fingerprints are all over this text. That we definitely see the person, we see Peter in this text so clearly, and just his vantage point, and what he says, and what he does, and I love Peter, because he's like you and me. Uh, he's the kind of guy that puts his foot in his mouth, and I need that, I'm like that guy, so I need a Peter, so I can look back to. So, uh, I'm thankful for this text. And so, uh, if you are with us last week, let me kind of catch up to speed. We saw Jesus heal a, heal a blind man, and then we see Peter confess Jesus as the Christ, And then we see Peter pulling Jesus aside last week, rebuking Jesus, saying, Jesus, you're not going to die and go to the cross. And then Jesus calls Peter Satan. So if you're with us last week, we see that seeing spiritually comes in stages. That it's not always all at once you hear about Jesus and go, I get it. Everything there is to know about the Bible and Christianity, I got in one message. It's not going to happen that way. That many times seeing comes in stages. The blind man who saw, he saw men like trees walking, and then Jesus touched him again, healed him again, and then he sees clearly. And if you remember Jesus last week, he said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your tree, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to die. Die to yourself. And we realize, looking back, what the blind man saw was not trees walking. He saw these disciples bearing the cross. That Jesus, God, opened his eyes to the spiritual realm, and he sees men like trees walking. And for years, I'd read that as a kid and be like, what does that mean? Why does he see trees walking? What is that? And Jesus clarifies and says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up a cross, take up a tree, and follow me. And that's what he saw. He saw these men bearing their cross and following Jesus. And Jesus basically says, I'm going to die, and anyone who wants to follow me, you're going to have to die to yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So if you want a good punch to the throat spiritually, uh, go back and listen to last week's message, because it really, just even in the study of it, it challenged me. But here. In Mark chapter 9, what we're going to see is called uh, the transfiguration. It's where Jesus is transfigured in front of the disciples. And every week, I have to do this, and I want to share this really quick, because every week when I read a text, I can't just read, God, or what are you saying to the church, but God, like, what are you saying to me? 
And I get really challenged every week when I get to study the text all week and just different thoughts come to my mind. And, and the, the text of the transfiguration, we're going to see Jesus shine like the sun before the disciples. And they get a taste of his glory. And the only thing I could really walk away from this text, because I'm like, God, what are you trying to teach? What is this saying? And really the only thing that I feel like for me and I want to share with you guys is, is God telling us, crave the glory of Jesus. Like, just crave Jesus. Like, long for Jesus. Long to see Jesus in this way. Long to be with Jesus in glory. That this is just a glimpse and a preview of things to come. That you and I one day will do see Jesus in all of his glory. And I can't just read this text and be like, this is a cool story. I have to, like, I have to feel this text. This is, it's weird, because could, we could, like, go watch a sunset, and I could be like, what do you learn from the sunset? And you're like, I don't know. I think sometimes we just need to enjoy it. Enjoy the sunset. Enjoy Jesus. Enjoy the glory of Jesus, right? Like, there's, there is some teaching elements to this, and there's some things we can take away, but I think even this text, for me, is more of like, do I enjoy Jesus in all this glory? Do I seek Jesus in all this glory? And so, really, the, the simple title of today is A Taste of Glory. A Taste of Glory. A preview of coming attractions. That's what's happening here in Mark chapter 9. So, let's just read it. Mark chapter 9. We're going to read the story, then we'll pray and look at it more in depth. But Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Let's read. Remember, Jesus just said, if you want to follow me, you've got to lose your life so you can find it. And he says all these very difficult things to swallow. And then in verse 1, it's the same thought. There's no break. Verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, after six days, so they're going to see this. He says this comment, and then Mark is kind of fast-forwarding us to this moment. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up on a high mountain, apart, apart by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no laundry on earth can whiten them. I don't know why, I just really like that. Uh, he's like, they're so white, they're, no laundry person could ever make them that white. Verse 4, and Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. I love Peter. This is like my favorite verse, I think, right here. He's like, oh, this is great. I, I'm, I just want to talk because I don't know what to say right now. Verse 7, and a cloud, came over, a, cl a cloud came over and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. <laughs> Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them that they should tell no one the things that, that, had seen, that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. <laughs> Verse 11, and they asked Jesus, saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as is written of him. And he's speaking of John the Baptist. Now, before we pray, they get a taste of glory. They get this preview of coming attraction, of what's going to happen I thought they're going to see Jesus one day, and we'll see Jesus one day in all of his glory. And again, for me, my hope is that we don't just read this text as like, oh, this is another good Bible story. I heard this as a kid, or it's my first time hearing this story. I'm hoping ultimately we can, yes, understand what's really happening here, but that we can just simply enjoy it. That you and I could have a moment where we see Jesus in his glory. And like Peter, his desire is like to bottle it. 
And that's my hope for us, is that we can just have this moment where we just taste Jesus and all of his glory. So let's pray and just ask God to just reveal himself to us. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, um, we are so humbled by this text. <laughs> it's something we don't fully get. I don't fully get, I think. That Jesus, I don't know if we fully, like the disciples, just saw who you are in all of your glory. And so, Lord, we just ask, we ask that you would give us a taste of your glory. That, Jesus, we could see you in this light. That this, would, that this remembrance of you and your glory, I'm sure, would help them get through so much suffering and pain. And so, Lord, we need at times like this as well. So we ask that you'd speak to us, that you'd move in here, that you'd be in this place in your wonderful name. Amen. Whether or not we, we really know it or, or would say it this way, uh, I think all of us crave glory. Like whether or not we would maybe word it that way, like I crave glory, but I think all of us like to be around glorious things and glorious moments and incredible times of just all were jaw-dropping experiences. You know, think about the, the, the big money we'll pay to go to a sporting event, right? To see someone make an incredible catch or like this alley-oop pass with an amazing like windmill dunk. And like, what do we do? We go, did you see that? That was incredible. That was amazing. And we're high-fiving and we're freaking out. Why do, we, why do we pay money? Why do we go to these events? Because it's glorious. We see someone at their height, at their best. We see something incredible we go, that is glorious, and it's great to be around it and to see it. We do this with concerts, right? Not just sports, but with concerts. We'll pay crazy money to be up, up close and center to the, the concert, and we're like, oh my gosh, his sweat just dripped on me. And normally that would be gross, but for some reason it's glorious. Like his sweat is on me. And we pay big money for those experiences. I think about this when it comes to just travel. We'll spend thousands of dollars so we can travel to like a waterfall or iceberg and just get like a picture and be like, my life's better than yours, like on Instagram. And like we just show people this and just, why? Because we love those glorious things, those glorious experiences to kind of say, look at this. There is something about like creation that way. My wife and I are constantly tagging each other in different like travel blogs. Like we're like, look at this Lake Havasu waterfall experience. We got to go there and look at the mountains of Switzerland and oh my gosh, Iceland. We got to go in this cool hot spring things, right? Like we're constantly sending each other things because we want a taste of glory. We want to we we be there and experience this. And here's really how I like glory being defined. It's excellent or beauty set forth in display. Glory is excellence or beauty set forth in display. So for example, a bride in her gown in the waiting room is beautiful, but there's nothing like the moment she's revealed, the door's open and she starts walking down the aisle and you go, wow, there's glory and all of it's like brilliance and beauty. Like yes, behind the waiting room, still the same, but there's something about being presented before us and to us. My wife and I celebrated 10 years of marriage earlier this year and we got a gift card for like a nice restaurant. We're like, ooh, a nice restaurant. Um, and they had lobster mac and cheese and as an appetizer. We'd never spend this kind of money on an appetizer. And we're like, let's get the lobster mac and cheese. And we got the lobster mac and cheese. I don't even remember what happened after that. Like my face just like melted off. It was so good, right? And all you want to do is like tell people about this glorious taste. You're like, look, you got to taste this. You got to try this. This is incredible. And there's something when you taste something, you immediately just say more, right? Like more. Like I need more. I, whenever I give my son like ice cream or any sweets, if I, give him, I can't give him one bite. The first word out of his mouth is I like, give him ice cream. He's like more, right? Like more. Like he wants more. And that is the experience we have with glory. If you experience something like this, where beauty and excellence is displayed, but in a holy way, in a God-centered way, you just go more. There's something about this with our nature. We just go, I need more of this. I want more of this. You know, the word glory in Hebrews is word kabod, and it just simply means weight, heaviness, weight. And I, I want you to think about this. Think about glory being weighty. The idea is, if I drop an object into water that is heavier than water, what happens? 
The water shakes, the water spills over, the water is disrupted. Why? Because that object has more glory than the water, has more weight than the water. Do we get that? If you drop an object heavier than water into water, it's going to disturb the water because it has more glory than the water. When you drop God into our lives, everything's shaken up and disturbed and, and it's just moved and we're like, what is going on? You're like, you're going to taste the glory of God. It's when Isaiah sees God and he just goes, woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Why? He had a taste of the glory of God. And what's happening here in Mark 9 is they're going to taste of the glory of God. And I love just Peter because Peter's us in so many ways. And his response is hilarious to me. I, I don't know if you just, again, I was reading this Bible alone, and I'm like, I'm just like laughing. I, it's probably so weird. I just read the Bible a lot and laugh because I imagine Peter. He's like, oh, it's good for us to be here. Like, okay, right? Like, I just love the response to this, but he's having a moment of glory and doesn't know what to do. And again, we can study this and we can dissect this, but all I, all I want in my prayer is like, God, give us more taste of your glory. Let us experience you and just say more. I need more. I want more. I need to experience this more in a greater and deeper way. And so really two thoughts we're going we're gonna to see throughout this, this text. I'm just going to look at two big thoughts, two big thoughts throughout this text. Number one, we're going to look at the glory of Jesus, look at the glory of Jesus, and the next we're going to listen to the voice of Jesus, all right? Two pretty big points. Like, look at the glory of Jesus, verse 1 through 6. Now listen to the voice of Jesus. That's what God the Father says in verse 7 through 13. So let's look at the glory of Jesus. Can we read verse 1 again? Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that, that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, now what is this? Let me just kind of catch up the speed. This is the context. Remember, Jesus just said, if you want to find your life, you must lose your life for my sake and the gospel. And if you're ashamed of me, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of. And if you want to follow me, take up your cross and die. And then Jesus says, but some of you aren't going to die. And this is like, I want you, this is all one story from last week. He's like, you got to follow me. you got to have to die to self and take your cross and follow me. But he goes, but some of you aren't going to die. You're going to see me in all my glory. You're going to see the glory of the kingdom first. And it's kind of disputed, what is he referring to? Maybe it's Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Maybe it's the resurrection. But I really think it's just pointing out to this story. That some of these men there are now going to see the, ki the king in his glory. And so that's what we have in verse 1. Now look at verse 2. This is unique for Mark. Because what's Mark's favorite word? Immediately, right? He says it 42 times. But this is like now after six days, which is interesting. Verse 2. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Okay, what's going on? So after six days go by, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, and they go up the mountain, right? It's believed that they're probably in Mount Hermon just because of where they already were in the land. So he took them on a high mountain. Mount Hermon's like 9,000 feet. Hopefully we'll go there in a couple of years. Uh, but they, he takes them to Mount Hermon, and there's something really unique happening. Because, if, again, if we just read the Bible and not know the context of the Bible, we don't always see it, what it's saying. So this is actually, I believe, pointing, and Jesus is doing something that Moses did. If you guys remember, Moses actually took three men up a mountain in Exodus 24. He took Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. And he has this glorious moment where this cloud also appears, where the voice of God comes. And what Jesus, it almost seems like Jesus is reenacting something Moses did, but in reality, Moses is a shadow of what Jesus would do if that makes any sense, right? So you look back and you read this and go, wow, this reminds me of Moses. And in reality, even though Moses came first, Moses reminds me of Jesus. So let's look at like this. It's Exodus 24, verse 15. I'll just put up the verse here for you guys. It says, Then Moses went up into the mountain, Mount Sinai, and a cloud covered the mountain. 
Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. If you remember, Moses stood up there for quite some time, and in Exodus 32 and, and so on, it talks about Moses coming down from the mountain, and his face just shines so brightly to cover his face, because just in the presence of God. And there's so many similarities between Exodus 24 and here in Mark 9. And let me just kind of throw up some of the similarities and explain why this is important. Uh, some of the similarities both talk about a cloud. They mention a cloud. Both have God's voice coming from a cloud. Both have three named companions who go up the mountain, Exodus 24.1. Uh, both have a transformed appearance. Their, their face is glowing. There's something different, something different about them. So there's some similarities. And, and here's why this matters. In Exodus 24, listen, it was a divine revelation of God. In Mark 9, it's also a divine revelation of Jesus. And so they're both divine revelations, God making himself known. And one is God making himself known to Moses. One is God making himself known through Jesus. And we see some similarities between Mount Sinai and the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, it's not a perfect example, though. And there's some differences also we do see. Here's what I have to, like, what's the difference? Here's what I have to point out. Moses reflected the glory of God while Jesus produced the glory of God. And, we, and there really is a big, like, just like the moon reflects the sun, that's what happened to Moses. Moses was reflecting the glory of God. But for Jesus, he's not reflecting the glory of God. It's, it's his inner being coming out. And this is so unique, and this is so different. And actually, if you look at verse 2, uh, the word it uses, it says he was transfigured before them. Transfigured, circle the word transfigured in your Bible. Uh, the word there, and maybe you've heard a word like this, it's metamorphothe. Metamorphothe, what is that? We get that, metamorphosis, right? The idea, it's not that Jesus like turned into like a butterfly. Right? Like, it's, the idea is like metamorphosis, he was transformed. Something that was already on the inside came out. There's another word it could have used. It could have used this word masquerade. That's another type of Greek word. It would say masquerade, like he put on something, but he didn't put on something. He exposed what was already within. This is so important. He was transfigured. He was metamorphosed. He was transfigured. He exposes to the disciples, here's who I really am. And that's what I want us to see. He's like, hey guys, this is really me. This is the true me. He's actually, my, my, my body is veiling this glory. Philippians 2 talks about his flesh really doing this. It veils the glory of God. And he's, for a moment, just for a slight moment, he's showing him who he is in his true colors. He's like, hey, this is who I really am. I love how the author of Hebrews puts it. It's Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, listen to how he puts it. It says, God, in these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the, the worlds, who being, listen, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. He is the express image of his person, the brightness of his glory. The author of Hebrews is like, look at Jesus. He is the exact copy of God. But his glory had to be covered by his flesh. And for a moment, they're seeing Jesus metamorphosize. They're seeing the inward come out, and they get a taste of his glory. And this is Jesus. I love Colossians 2.9. It says that the, the fullness of the God had dwelt in Jesus. Jesus is God. I mean, the Bible says it and, and shows us that in so many unique ways. But this saying, Jesus is really, you're seeing him for who he is and all of his glory. This is already within him. And they have this moment, and this is what's so interesting to me. If we keep, like, reading the story, Moses and Elijah show up. And this is so weird, right? Like, Moses and Elijah show up, and they're talking with Jesus. Now, I wish I could have just heard that conversation at length. Like, what was that conversation like? What are they saying? Why do they show up? What's happening with this? Here's what we see. Moses, listen, Moses represents the law, right? 
You think about Moses, Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Really, Moses is such a, such a historical figure, not just for Christianity or Judaism, but for even other faiths. People look to Moses. But Moses represents the law. Elijah represents all of the prophets. And you kind of see Moses and Elijah always tag-teaming or their, verse, their, their names being mentioned in different verses in the Old Testament, New Testament. But you see, Moses speaks of the law. Elijah speaks of the prophets. And here's kind of the idea. You have all the law and the prophets pointing to Jesus. You have all these guys, these, these two guys, who represent really the whole Bible. If you divide the Bible up, it'd be law, prophets, law, prophets. These guys, law, prophets, divided up, they're there. And they're talking to Jesus. And they're pointing to Jesus because really that's the whole point. The law and the prophets are there to point to Jesus. Moses and Elijah are ultimately there to point to Jesus. The reasons why we have prophecies or prophets or you look at Moses and the law, it's ultimately in some way or form pointing us to the person of Jesus. And now they're there. And they're talking to Jesus. And they're pointing to Jesus. And again, I, I wish we could have had just this conversation. Like, I wish this tapes. I could just play it for the audio for you. It'd be so cool, I'm sure. But I, I love Luke actually tells us what their topic was, which I think is really interesting because Mark doesn't. But Luke says, here's their topic. Luke 9.31, listen to this. It says, Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he's about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, please hear this. They're speaking to Jesus about his departure. Uh, if you can throw that verse up, Luke 9.31. The word departure is this word exodus. You can look it up if you want. Go ahead, that's fine. It's exodon or something, but it's actually translated exodus. They're speaking to Jesus about his exodus. I love that. Well, why? Moses, the guy who wrote exodus, the guy who led the people out of this great exodus, is speaking to Jesus about exodus, this departure, this leading people out thing. Moses is having a conversation with Jesus about the exodus. That blows my mind. Like Moses is like, yeah, I led people out of slavery. Jesus is like, I'm about to lead people out of sin, hell, and death. Another exodus, a greater exodus. We see Jesus is a greater Moses. Jesus is a greater exodus. And they're talking about his departure, his death, his exodus, what he's going to lead us through. Moses led them out of a great exodus. Imagine being slaves for hundreds of years and Moses delivered them, but our greater deliverer comes. Jesus comes on the scene and he's leading us out of a greater exodus. The exodus of being a slave to sin, a slave to self, a slave to death, the fear of hell, all those things. Jesus is like, I'm coming to deliver them, I'm coming to bring the true exodus, the real exodus. The exodus your exodus is trying to point to, I'm here to bring that. They're talking about his departure, exodus. It's literally what it says. And I love this conversation that's going on. And, and can I just point this out? Because I had to read this and slow down and just kind of, you know, maybe you've heard this or thought through this, but where is Moses at this point in time? On Mount, Her on Mount Hermon, most likely. Where's that? In the promised land. What does that mean? Moses is in the promised land. Okay, so what? Moses wasn't allowed to go in the promised land. I, I love the thought of Joshua and Caleb. If you guys study the Old Testament, Joshua and Caleb are the only two people out of thousands who are able to enter into the promised land from that generation. Moses couldn't enter into the promised land. Why? Because he didn't obey God and he struck the rock rather than speaking to a rock. And you're like, what does that mean? We can read that later. But Moses wasn't allowed to go in. He's like, you can't go in. You didn't obey me. But where's Moses now? After he, he dies... And here he is in glory, it says. Where is he? He's in the promised land. And, and the cool thing, first of all, it's almost like he doesn't care, right? Because where's he been? Like, in glory. <laughs> like, he's like, oh, cool, the promised land. I remember I wanted to go here really bad one day, but now I'm somewhere way better. Like, I think that's it's neat. That it's not even, like, really mentioned or talked about, but when I just see that and I see Moses in the promised land, I go, God, you're so good. I love how faithful God is. I love that though I can screw it up and though I can blow it, my God is so much more faithful than I am faithless. I love 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, our God is faithful even when we are faithless because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny who he is. And, and I just see that. God's like, Moses in the promised land, like, no big deal. The thing he wanted so bad could never enter. Now he's there talking to Jesus, talking about the Exodus, talking about this great departure. 
And then in this awesome, holy, intimate moment, Peter wakes up. <laughs> and I love this. Verse 5, let's just keep moving. Peter sees this, and he goes, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> and let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. I love this. Peter's telling this story to Mark, right? I was like, yeah, I was just terrified. I had no idea what to say, so I just started talking. Like, I just wanted to know, like, what he said to Mark, and now he's telling this. But Peter starts to go, oh, God, it's good for us to be here. Like, yeah, like, water is wet. Did you know that? Like, of course it's good for you to be there. Like, of course. Like, Peter's just, like, so excited. He just starts talking. And, and I love, he's like, oh, it's so good. We should make three tabernacles. And he's just going off. And I love how Mark's, honestly, this commentary really is, it means a lot. He's like, he didn't know what to say. He didn't know. I, this is what makes the Bible so real to me. You know, when you think about reading the Bible, you not take Peter, who's like the cornerstone of the church, and portray him in this way, unless this is really what happened. Unless this is really how we did it. You know, if I'm trying to like, if you're guys, and people like say Christianity was made up by these guys, they got together and they made up Christianity, why do you take your, your like leader of it and make him look like a doofus a lot, other than if that's what happened? And I'm just so thankful for verses like this. Mark's like, Peter didn't know what to say, so he just started rambling. And I think this verse needs to like go up on Facebook sometimes. Like, please, like, just because you don't know what to say, don't mean like, I mean, start, I, I, should, I should get involved in this political conversation. Blah. It's like, no, maybe you don't say anything. Maybe that's a good idea. Like, I love this. Peter, like, Peter's speaking and talking. He's like, hey, you know what? Sometimes it's good just to be quiet. Sometimes it's good just, just Peter, like, I wish, like, James and John, like, hey, I'm like, dude, let Jesus talk with Moses and Peter. Like, what are you doing? Why are you interrupting this moment right now? And this is so interesting. And I, I have to, like, what is his suggestion? What is Peter saying? He goes, let's build three houses. Let's build three tabernacles. Peter's like, I have this idea. You get a house, and you get a house, and you get a house. He's like, I'm going to build you these houses. He's so excited about this moment. And it's like, that's not, that's not it. That's not the point. But what is that? Where, where is that desire to build a tabernacle? Because that is a real desire. Can I, can I actually explain the context again? When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, what does God tell him to do? Build me a tabernacle. So Peter goes, ah, Moses, let's build a tabernacle. And like, this is maybe a good thing, a biblical thing. And here's the idea of a tabernacle. The tabernacle is the meeting place of God, the divine with the, with the human. The temple or the tabernacle, Judaism or even other faiths, the idea, you think about this, it's the idea of God meeting with man. It's the idea of, I can't approach, I need some sort of like intercessor. Like I need some sort of middle ground to meet God at. I, I can't meet God in my own place, my own turn. I need a tabernacle or a temple. And I love it because first we're going to see God the Father interrupt Peter. But we see with Jesus, there's no need for a tabernacle. Jesus is the tabernacle. There's a verse, if you would write it down, John chapter 1 verse 14. It literally says, and Jesus tabernacled among us. God came to man. God brought the tabernacle to us. There is no need for a physical temple, one temple that everyone travels to across the world and say, this is the holy spot. The point is Jesus walked the earth. The earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. That we can meet with God anywhere and everywhere. That everywhere we go, we can have this holy moment. It's not just in the divine moments of the, of the temple, in the special holy place of the temple. Jesus brings the temple to us. Jesus is the temp temple. He's the tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. And Peter, can I say, actually has a really good desire. I really look at this and he goes, God, I, this moment's incredible. We cannot forget it. Let's bottle it up. Let's not leave this moment. And honestly, that's a good desire, I think, in a lot of ways. Like, it's good for us to have a moment with God and say, God, I don't want to leave this. I don't want to forget this. Let's build something. Let's, do, let's remember this moment. Because the reality is we're not going to live in those moments. We've got to keep that in mind. We're not going to live in this moment. We will one day, but right now on earth, we're not going to live in this moment. We will get little glimpses and tastes of glory and we should want to bottle it up. We're not always going to be able to like, like to just live in that. And so I love how Peter's desire is like, I want, to, I want to live in this moment. I don't want to leave this moment right now. 
Let's stay here. Let's build a tabernacle. And I don't know if you're with us at our night of worship on Friday, but there's kind of those moments you have spiritually. Hopefully you had those moments where you go, I don't want to leave this moment with you, God. Like, I don't want this to end. Does this have to end? And we have to remember these moments. We have to remember those moments where we get that glimpse and that taste. But Moses is like, well, 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 sorry, Peter's like, well, Moses built a tabernacle. Let's build a tabernacle. And that's not the point. Jesus is the tab- Jesus is God coming to man, dwelling among us. And so as Peter's talking, I love how even like we see God the Father now, just like, Peter, stop. Like God the Father speaks from heaven, right? We'll move on to number two. So we saw the glory of Jesus. Look at the glory of Jesus. Number two is listen to the voice of Jesus. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Look at verse seven. It says, that a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. <laughs> Hear him. No one else, not you. Shh. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. What a great verse. They looked around, they go, no one's here but Jesus. I, I love, again, God the Father, he's like, hey, 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 don't ruin this moment. Listen, the person you need to be listening to right now, listen to Jesus. This is my beloved son, hear him. Matthew's gospel says that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. And we see this idea of that, let me just say this, we see the Father affirming the Son, which is so important. You know, if you remember, let me just point out the Gospel of Mark. Mark 1.1, Mark says, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark's saying he's the Son of God. And then we have Jesus being baptized, and, and the God the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'll please again. So he calls him Son again. And here, kind of the middle point, halfway point through our Gospel, through the Gospel of Mark, we see the Father again calling him his Son. And we see that there will be another time on Calvary's cross when there's now a centurion saying, truly this was the Son of God. Here's what we just see. We see this idea of Jesus being the Son just affirmed throughout this gospel, and it's so important. This is my Son. I'm well pleased in him. Listen to him. Hear him. Block out all the other voices and noises and listen to Jesus. And I think this is so key. God the Father speaks, and we have a verse of God the Father speaking. And what is he saying? Listen to Jesus. And see, I, I want to see when, when God speaks, everything else faded away. Moses and Elijah faded away. The Father speaks and everything else fades away. And it's just Jesus. And when God, the Father speaks, when God is speaking, you see kind of everything else seems to fade away. And you go, man, I'm just left with the person of Jesus. And there's something so beautiful about that. I want to listen. To, he goes, listen to Jesus. So, so let me ask you, are we listening to Jesus? Are you? Are we? Am I? Are we as a church? Are you individually? Are your ears open to Jesus? What is Jesus saying to you? What has he been saying to you? When you spend time with Jesus, what does Jesus say? When you read the word of God, what is Jesus saying to you? Like, I love going through the Gospels and sometimes going, what does Jesus say? Like, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Listen to that. Listen to Jesus saying, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it for my sake in the Gospel. Listen to that. Listen to Jesus, and if you want to be the greatest, be the least among all. Like, listen to Jesus. Jesus, just listen to him. Hear him. I know that sometimes I can be so busy, we can be so busy, things can be so noisy that we just don't hear God anymore. We don't hear Jesus anymore. And God's speaking and says, just listen to my son. He's pointing to Jesus and listen to him. And I honestly believe we need to be better listeners. Would you guys agree? I think that I need to be a better listener. And again, I know my wife really wants to yell amen. We all need to be better listeners. Like, that is something we all need to grow in is just listen and enjoy. Hear from Jesus. He's speaking. He has spoken. He will speak. You know, Hebrews chapter 1, we just read it, but I need to reemphasize a new part. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to us through the prophets of old, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through what? His son. And God, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, he's like, God has spoken through prophets. He's spoken in different ways. Do you want to know how he speaks now? Through his son, Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says. 
God is still speaking. God is speaking through his word. God speaks to us through his spirit. God speaks through Jesus. Listen, listen. Have ears to hear. And so he says this. He goes, listen to him. Don't be distracted. Verse 7, verse 7 and 8. And they, they looked around. They saw no one but Jesus. And I just wish sometimes we can slow down and just see no one but Jesus. That all the distractions, all the other people are just gone and it's just you and Jesus. At the end of the day, it's going to be you and Jesus. At the end of time, when you breathe your last breath, according to 2 Corinthians 5, you and I will stand before God, we'll stand before Jesus and give an account for our lives. It's just going to be you and Jesus. So let's have those moments now. Let's embrace and love those moments now. Jesus is called that groom who just wants intimacy. It's not like this fearful thing we have to experience. It's like this intimate thing. Like, I just want to talk to you. I just want to be alone with you. Sometimes, like, people are like, what can I do for you? I'm like, give me a date night. That's all I want. Like, right? Like, all I want to do is be alone with my wife. That's like that Jesus, like, I just want you. I just want to be alone with you. Listen to you. Listen, listen. Spend time with me. I think God is just saying that. Listen. Hear me. Listen to the voice of Jesus. So, verse 7, verse 8. Now, look at verse 9. It says, so uh, they came down from the mountain and he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. I love this. They still don't get it about the resurrection and death. They're like, hey, Jesus mentioned this resurrection thing. What does that, what does that mean? Is he going to die? Like, and Jesus said that, remember in chapter 8, it ended with Jesus saying, I'm going to die and rise again in three days. And they're like, what do you mean? I don't get this. Stop Because again, it doesn't compute. Messiah dying, suffering. I don't get this. And they're still having this kind of inner struggle, inner, inner battle. And here's what I think Jesus is doing. Jesus is showing them, I'm going to suffer. So let me give you some glory now. Because you're going to suffer as well. And I really think that many times when we suffer, we have to look back and we have to know those moments of glory, those little tastes and experience of glory. He's like, I'm going to give you a little taste now because you're going to have, there's going to be some difficult times ahead. There's going to be more glory to come, but sometimes we need to like go back and just remember that taste, that thing we've experienced. Can I tell you, Peter was so taken back by what happened here in Mark 9. Do you know that Peter writes about this experience in 2 Peter 1? Peter's so taken back by Mark 9, this story. Matthew, we can read it in other Gospels as well, but he's so taken back by this. Later on in his life, Peter writes about this moment, this very moment where he hears Jesus. I'll just read the verses to you, even though it's just cool. I love hearing Peter's thoughts on this. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter says this, We did not follow cunningly devised fables. They weren't, these weren't fake stories. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were, listen, eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, like Matthew's version. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He goes, when we were with him on the holy mountain, we heard this voice. We were eyewitnesses of this. Peter's so taken back, and his point is saying, we're not following just some weird myths or stories here. I was an eyewitness of his glory. I saw his glory. I tasted his glory. And if you guys know anything about first and second Peter, it's all about suffering and glory. It's all about suffering and glory. You were going to suffer, but there's also going to be glory. Before there's glory, many times there's suffering. And Peter's like, listen, we're an eyewitness of this. We saw this. We're on that holy mountain. We tasted. We saw. We know there's more glory to come. We had glory that day, but we know there's more glory to follow. And Peter, now hears Jesus talking about his resurrection. And I want to point out how Peter words this question in Jesus' response. So let's just read verse 11 through 13. In verse 11, and they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Like, what, what does that mean? Where's this coming from? Verse 12, Then Jesus answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. 
And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must first suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished as it were written of him. Now, let me kind of bring some context again to this. Remember last week, Jesus is speaking about his death and resurrection. Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, you're not going to suffer and die. Then Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Here's, Peter was really blunt that time. Peter's in your face. Like, you're not going to die, Jesus. You're not going to suffer. You're the Messiah. The Messiah doesn't suffer. Here, Peter's more subtle. I don't know if you catch it. They asked him, they go, well, why does it say Elijah will come before like glory? And basically, they're trying to point back and say, Jesus, stop talking this death talk. Stop talking this suffering talk. Doesn't it say Elijah will come and then the kingdom will come? And they're trying to use verses to like say, Jesus, you're, you're, not, you're not getting it. Elijah's going to come, and then we're going to see the kingdom of God being ushering in. And I love how Peter like learned a little bit. It seems like he learned. Like they, they word the question differently this time. And Jesus answered them and goes, well, listen, Elijah has come. That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist suffered and died. I'm going to suffer and die. You want to follow me? Like, you can't escape the suffering thing. <laughs> Jesus is like, this is kind of the thought. Like, I know you really badly think, like, we're going to, if you follow Jesus, you're not going to suffer, but you are. And, like, this is constantly, and this is not always communicated. We're like, yeah, like, no one's like, hey, what's the sermon on? It's like, oh, about suffering again, over and again. And, like, it's, no one, this is not, like, a favorite thing for us to talk about. But Jesus is like, you're not going to avoid this. Don't think just because Elijah's come, now the king, there's going to be some suffering involved. John the Baptist died, I'm going to die. And again, this question is worded so uniquely, but, but here's what we see, and here's what I have to point out. And please listen to this, because on Mount Sinai, the glory of God was revealed. On Mount Hermon, or Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of Jesus, the divine, is revealed. There's another mount where we see the glory of God being revealed, and that's Mount Golgotha. See, on the cross, another version, another way God's glory is revealed, but not the way they expected You see, you look at this experience in Mark 9 and you contrast it to the cross. It's almost like night and day different. And actually, we'll throw this up here. The transfiguration versus the cross, just so you can see this. At the transfiguration, there's supernatural light, but at the cross, there was supernatural darkness, right? At noon, it goes pitch black. At the transfiguration, Jesus' clothes illuminate. At the cross, Jesus' clothes are stripped off. With the transfiguration, there's two Old Testament saints with Jesus. At the cross, there's two criminals with Jesus. At the transfiguration, God speaks, but at the cross, God is silent. You see, you think about the transfiguration, the father speaking, saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And he says, son. And Jesus is that father-son relationship. But on the cross, he doesn't say father. You know that Jesus called God father every single time except on the cross? He says, what? My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? This time we see that relationship between the son and the father is broken because Jesus at that moment took on the sin of the world. And you look on and say the most painful thing was for, for Jesus was not the cross and the pain of the nails, but his idea of being separated from the Father for a moment of time, taking on the sin of the world. And we see this Mount of Transfiguration is in contrast to the Mount Calvary. It's Mount Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus would one day die for us and one day rise for us. And see, this is a little taste of glory because they're about to see suffering and pain, but there is more glory promised ahead. But it's hard to see this because Jesus keeps talking this cross talk. He keeps talking, I'm on my way to die. Let's go to Jerusalem. We're going to die there. He's like, what are you talking about? And like, it's, like, it's like, stop. You're the Messiah. You can't do this. But he's like, no, no, I must suffer and die before there's glory. But there will be more glory. And what you've seen and tasted now is a preview of things to come. And here's what I just want to close with and end with. There's two thoughts we have to take away. Because when we read this, we go, that's it? And then, there, then look at after this mountaintop experience, we're going to see like a Demon possession, we're going to see a boy get healed. Like, we're going to see just crazy things. After this, this, after this great high, there's a great low. And they have to go back to this taste of glory. And here's what I feel like we just, I want to try to summarize and go, God, what are you teaching us from this section? Like, what is it you're showing us? Would you write these two things down? 
What's the whole, what's like the point of the transfiguration and what do we, what do we glean from this? The first one is this. We see that a glorious future awaits you. A glorious future awaits you. What we see from this text is Jesus in all of his glory. And there's a promise to us that we'll also be with him in glory. There's this promise to us in 1 John 3, 2, that when we see Jesus, we'll be like Jesus. That a glorious future awaits us. You know what is so cool about this story? Um, Moses and Elijah are there, and there's no like, hey, Peter, James, John, Moses, Elijah, Elijah, Peter, James, John. Like, there's no introduction. It's like, it's Moses and Elijah. How do they, how do they know? I don't, isn't that weird? Like, how do you know? That's weird. How do you know that wasn't some other bearded figure from the Old Testament, <laughs> right? Like, what's going on here? I love what 1 Corinthians 13, 11, and 12 talks about. Uh, I'll read this verse to you. It says it this way, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also have known. You know what we learn about glory is that I honestly do believe we'll, just, we'll know. We'll know as we're known. That I, you're not going to have to be like, oh, what is my dad, mom, cousin, aunt, what do they look like? I don't remember what they look like. Like, we're going to know as we're known. That, you know, Jesus said it this way, you're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob over a meal. That there's going to be this side of just community and relationship and face-to-face time, and we're going to know them and be known. And there's something you, so cool to me about that. I don't know if you ever have moments with friends or family or you have some sort of like the high school experience or college experience, like, oh, it's over now. I miss that. And like, I want that to be. And it's like, if they know Jesus, we're going to have that. It's not like it's over. Like, oh, it's done. I'll see you in 20 year reunion, which is really awkward. Like, there's going to be a side of it where it's like, oh, like we get to be together. I love this person. They've been out of my life. Just life circumstances have changed our direction. But there's a side of it where you know Jesus. We're just known as we are known. We'll know as we're known. I love the thought of just being in heaven and just going, oh, there he is, there's Moses. Like, I just love the thought of, like, we know each other, and we're known, and there's that relationship there, and a glorious future does await us. What we see from Jesus in all of his glory is that that awaits us, because we do see that same thing for us. And here's my second point. Number two is this. You too will be transformed. You too will be transformed. The Bible uses the same word. You too will be metamorphosized. <laughs> we will be metamorphosized. We too will be transformed. Where? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Isn't that good news? We are looking at, like right now, we're looking, you're looking at this mirror dimly. You're seeing Jesus. On earth, we should become more and more like Jesus. We're, gonna be, we're still going to be flawed. We're still going to sin. We're still going to have setbacks. Yes, of course. But as we grow in Christ and grow in a relationship with Christ, we're becoming be more and more like him, but one day we'll go from glory to greater glory. One day we'll, we'll, see him, we'll see him dimly, but then we'll see him face to face. We'll be transformed, it says. Transformed, same word, metamorphosis, into his image. We'll be transformed. <laughs> that this too is for us. You too will be transformed. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 through 4, it says it this way, and I, I want to read it because I, I like it a lot, and I'd rather just read it. He says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. This is the promise that you, have an, you and I have this tent, this body, and we're going like, to, in a sense, like shed it and put on a new tent, a glorious tent, a new habitation that we're not going to be further unclothed, but more clothed that mortality is swallowed up by life. 
that you and I will have. And I love how he's like, we groan for this. We ache for this. And you wake up in the morning, and you know what, you know what it's like? You're like, ah, why can't I move my neck? Like, groaning. Like, when we groan, I always like remind, like, oh, heaven, heaven, one day, new body, yes. Like, it's not just a groan. It's like, ah, no, I need a new one of these, right? And that's what he's saying. You will have that new one. When we see him, we will be like him. And I love the idea of the resurrection. They see Jesus in this glory, and he's saying you're beginning to be transformed from glory to greater glory, just as the image by the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is going to do this within our lives. Let us become people who are more like Jesus. Amen. I love that they got a taste of glory, Peter, James, and John, but nobody's telling us, I'm going to bring you to greater glory. You're not just going to have a taste. We won't just have a taste of glory. I hope we can have tastes of glory throughout our earth experience in that sense, just little tastes and glimpses of Jesus and his glory and his goodness. But one day it will be face to face. And that is our hope. The Bible talks about this, this hope, that, this heavenly hope that does not fail us. This hope of being with Jesus, the hope of being like Jesus. The hope of, of just seeing him, being with him, and laughing with him, and enjoying him, and, and enjoying what God has created for us, just intimacy, that we were created by him and for him, and we will have this in glory with Jesus. Amen? I just want to end with some worship, and end with this, this little taste of glory. And guys, I'm going to ask, just, let's just not be distracted. Let the Moses and Elijahs, there's no one there but Jesus, right? Let this be a time where we can just enjoy our Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you that your son has spoken, and God, we just want to listen now. God, as we sing, as we praise, as we cry out, as we say we need you, we love you, thank you for loving us, as we just sing about who you are, Jesus, would you just speak to our hearts? God, the lies of the enemy that we are not worthy, that people don't care, the lies we tell ourselves that no one gets it, no one understands it, Jesus, let us just hear your voice. We ask that you just silence those things now, that we would taste, that we would look upon your glory, that we'd also listen to your voice, Jesus. So we thank you, God. We invite you here as we sing to you now. We just ask that you'd speak and move in your name. Amen.